Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to Uplifting Impacts podcast. We are always so delighted to be able to share with you these conversations with amazing people from all over the world. Today, I'm super excited because we have somebody who is right here in our hometown, Milwaukee. So Amy Hanneman is joining us. She is from Northwestern Mutual, and Amy does everything diversity, equity, and inclusion, but that's not all she's done. She has a background that is really extensive. Her key roles include leading the global diversity, uh, leading global diversity, um, inclusion and human rights, international business, government relations, strategy, human resources, organizational effectiveness and development, change management, learning and talented. And she also is a coach, a facilitator and a speaker. Amy, when do you have time to do all of these things? <laughs> um, I, I think you're showing my age right now, but you know, it's, it's been an amazing career. And I always say that I could never have predicted my life, you know, so I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for having the time and making the time to, to be with us because we know with that long list of things that you're in a lot of demand uh, for, for your time. So we're just excited to be able to have the conversation. And also I have Tamira here with me. Hey, Tamira. Hey, Amy. Hey, Deanna. Hi, all of our listeners. Super excited to have this conversation with Amy today. So Amy, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I know Deanna just read all of your street cred and your bio, but we would love to hear more about the work that you do and who you are. Sure. Um, I think one of the biggest things that's omitted on our resume is like things that are really also part and parcel to making up who we are. And that is that I am a mother of four girls and uh, I am married um, to a wonderful guy. Uh, and that has shaped so much of the work and the impact that I've been able to make in my career, especially after I went from just myself to all of these new little women that I'm kind of in charge of. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a kind of rounding out who I am today, how I got here. Um, I'm just a, a girl from Texas. Dallas was where I was raised. Um, and couldn't have predicted my, my, my uh, corporate American journey here. Um, my dad was an electrician for many, many years. My mother was a waitress before she went into education, and I didn't really have any corporate role models, but I remember my dad sitting me down after I graduated from undergrad and said, you need to go out and find a company that has a 401k. That's going to be a mark of success. And so dating myself here, I sat down with the classified ads and a red pen and was looking for a, a couple different opportunities. And I landed at a really wonderful company called Raytheon, which is now Raytheon Technologies. And they put me into a leadership development program, which changed the course of my life forever. If you can get into a good company with a leadership development program, go for it. 
And I ended up in international business development and sales. And I had an amazing um, international business career all over the world doing and learning so much. It has a lot to do with my lens on things and um, moved into government relations. So I was a lobbyist on Capitol Hill in DC for a while um, after living in Boston for many years. And I think, um, you know, my DEI work, I was always doing some form of advocacy on the side. And I remember I was coming out of the Senate office building one day, going into the ladies room, and I had just helped close a big multi-million dollar deal. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was just like, is this really what you want to be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, or do you want to use the lobbying, the negotiation, all of those skills that you have with the love of your life, which is advocating for others and doing diversity and inclusion work, which I was doing you know, um, earlier in my career, I had a little bit of a stint there and do something full-time. And that's when I jumped and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> that's awesome. I think there's so many things in, in that story that I want to go back to, Amy, if you're okay with it. But I think one of them is just this moment where you, you know, and I've heard a lot of leaders say this in different ways. And I, I can even think of my own moments like this, where you're kind of at this place and you're like, okay, I, I have a really strong understanding of what my skills are. I also have a strong understanding of what my passions are. You have the word purpose in back of you in, in, you know, I wrote purposeful hustle. So I always see that word wherever it shows up, but there's like this moment and people talk about it differently, but it's sort of the same moment of like, wait, are my skills and my passions, is there a way that I could align them even better? Mm-hmm. It sounds like you had that moment, like in that, in that Senate building. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a make or break for me. Um, you know, I, the, the line of work that I was in was incredibly exciting. Um, billions of dollars, lots of power um, in rooms of power, but what I was selling and negotiating for had to do with arms deals, to be honest, you know, that was, that was the technology in the space that I was in. Um, that's not what I want to hang my hat on for the rest of my life. That's not, that's not what is most meaningful to me. Um, and so when I saw how powerful I could be in that space, coupled with the immense need that the world has for people to be in positions of power and use that power for good is when I just said, that's it, we're done. Let's go do something else. And I knew exactly what that was. That takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that takes a lot of courage to completely shift into a whole nother sector and decide that you want to follow your passion. So I know you talked a little bit about how you did work internationally. How did that experience working internationally kind of frame and shape the work that you do now in diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, a good DEI person will tell you honestly that they don't know anything at all. Because the more time you spend with people all over the world, in your own city, even, it doesn't matter. You'll realize that this space is so deeply personal. Mm-hmm. And there is never going to be a one size fits all. No program is right for everybody. No initiative is right for everybody. And you've got to be able to flex and change in the moment and meet people where they're at, at the individual level. 
And that's what makes it really, really complicated. And so I think one of the things that I learned earlier on and which has helped me in make real movement for the companies that I've been with is not having that one size fits all approach and realizing that what works in Japan is not gonna work in Brazil, which is not going to work in France um, or in the States. So that international experience and how I grew up and where I grew up and a lot of the things that I was taught in childhood and exposed to um, have certainly colored and shaped the, the, again, the knowledge that I know nothing at all. I love that. I always tell people like diversity and inclusion work has to happen on a lot of different levels. Like we talk about it on three levels, right? It has to happen on the top level. It has to happen at the operational level. You definitely have to have some things that are policies and systems and structures. You got to be thinking about what's going on there. There's also this other level we call it, you know, the people level. This is like, what, what is actually happening? Excuse me, the practices level. That's the middle level, right? What is, how do I interact? How are teams interacting? But the most important work I feel like happens on the people level. Because at its best, like when it's really, really working, when it's making transformational change, this is a one-to-one -one sport. Right. This is a, you know, we got it. We have to figure out how are we, how are we interacting with one another and how are we looking at each other as individuals? It's like the crux of the work that we do. And I think sometimes we spend too much time because it's a little kind of easier, right? To make a policy, to plan something, to schedule a program, right? It's a little bit harder to have that one-to-one -one conversation or to be vulnerable or to say, I don't really know everything. I'm still learning. So I, I, I really appreciate the way you just put that. I appreciate it too, because it's like the people within the organizations are the one who's going to sustain the work that we're trying to do. And so if you aren't having those conversations, with the individual people within the organization, then who has ownership over it, right? Like who has ownership over our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives? Who's going to move it forward when this person leaves or there's transition within the organization? So I love how you emphasize the importance of the people within the organization that are going to be the ones who benefit from the initiatives that we're trying to create um, in the first place. So I do have another question. I know I kept saying I'm going to come back to this because I wrote down many things I wanted to ask. But one of the other things I don't hear people talking about a lot, and I'm just curious in your work if you encountered this or if you're doing any of this at Northwestern, but um, one of the, the, the things is being a first generation, like being a first generation professional and just what that feels like, right? So you had that experience. Um, I know I've had that experience. And what what does, it feels very different, right? And I don't hear people kind of calling that out as this is one of the things that as diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners, we should be paying attention to. Yeah, um, I think so, for sure. Uh, I, I don't think I would be where I am today if I hadn't um, had that experience. I mean, I don't think, I think everybody says that, but I, you know, I got into a lot of rooms because of the way that I look. Um, so that's not lost on me. But one of the other parts of being, uh, and when I say that, I mean race, right? Um, um, and, but I think one of the other things that being first generation, if you will, or first role model uh, from a corporate, a first example of a corporate you mm -hmm. know, job person is the fight. You know, you don't really necessarily know how to do it until you kind of, it seems like a mountain, right? It might be yes. a little bit scarier for you. Yeah. And so you 
you put your gloves on and you go in and you you climb and you climb and you fight because you you want it you want it more than maybe somebody else I don't know um I think also coming from a humble upbringing had a lot to do with that fight and that inner fire because nobody told me I had to go do that I mean my dad was like you're gonna get a 401k in this job and you got 90 days in you're out something like that they would have never they would have never kicked me out if you watched this podcast it's gonna be hurt <laughs> you know I, I think I think that I think that is a strength I do I think sometimes hardships or you know being different it, it can be one of our superpowers if we choose to see it that way mm-hmm. if we choose to use it to our advantage and if we choose to give us that kind of resiliency that we need to to be strivers and climbers yeah and I see I that kinda, thread running through some of the best talent out there. You know, I think it's interesting because I definitely agree. Like, I, I think it's about your perception. I think that it does kind of put a little fire in your belly. Sometimes you're like, I got to get out there. I got to do this. I'm paving my own way. I'm charting my own course. I also have these moments and I'm not going to ask this question, but I'm going to divulge for myself. I have these moments where I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Because I had no idea, right? Like there was just this expectation that like through osmosis, I was sort of going to know that this was appropriate. This was inappropriate. Like I just had no idea. And so when I look back, I cringe because I'm like, I can't believe I, I did this thing, but I was doing it because I didn't have, you know, and then, and then I did have these leadership experiences or these moments where somebody pulled me to the side, like, uh, Deanna, that's probably not, Uh, can I share one with you? I was just talking about this this weekend. It's so funny. So this is not in corporate America, but this is when I was in college, first person to go to college, also first generation, right? And I had a great relationship with my principal in high school. And I equated the president of the university with being the principal of the university. So I would have something that I just thought, you know, he should know. And I would go to his office, his beautiful, beautiful office in the admin building. And I would roll up in there and I would, you know, say, can I talk to Father O'Hare? And they would say, yeah, you know, he's not here right now. I'd say, that's fine. I'll wait. I'd cross my legs, sit on his beautiful couch and just wait for him to come. And it didn't actually like, until I graduated from school, did I ever get this realization that like how inappropriate that really was? Like I should have made an appointment. I should have had a list, right? I should have broken the note. I sh- There's so many other ways I could have done it, but it's also an accreditation to his leadership because he never made me feel like I was doing something wrong right? Mm -hmm. He always just sort of like helped guide me and coach me. And, and like, and, and when I showed up in his office, he'd be like, Deanna, what is it? Let's, let's chat. You know, like he made that space for me. And so I was thinking about that. That's kind of like the leader that I want to be. Like, I want to make sure that people who are having these new experiences are coming in and they're getting a chance to spread their wings and that fire in their belly, like we're igniting it, but that they're also getting that coaching. um, So they can have less cringy moments. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my career is littered with cringy moments but yeah, <laughs> that which does not kill us or yes. makes us stronger thank goodness social media was not around in the earlier days of my career <laughs> <laughs> great so I also wanted to know um you know you talked about leadership development and I guess I was just curious like as you think about your work in DEI how do you think leadership development like plays into the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation? I think it's pinnacle because if 
not everybody's getting the same opportunities because they're not being developed. And by developed, I don't mean formal development. I mean the informal rooms and the conversations and the networking that happens when people of certain affinities get together. I mean, you've got to structure both. So you have to have the formal development and you have to make sure that it's equally available and equitable for everyone. And then you also have to make sure that you create spaces for that informal networking and development because a lot of the stuff gets done there and it's gotta be with the senior brass in the organization. Um, so you have to teach the things, you have to expose the, the leaders to the talents. There has to be that direct personal connection building and that's where the really hard work is. It's really easy to hire one of the big firms to come in and launch a development program for your middle managers or your high code talent or whatever. It's super difficult to get your senior leadership team members and your officers of the company to spend one-on-one -on -one time with people in monthly roundtables, for example. Mm -hmm. That's where the difference is, I think, and why it's so important to be intentional around what does leadership development really mean? Now, how do you do you Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Samara. No, I think you were going to go ask the same exact question. <laughs> so, my question literally was, how how do you do that within your organization? How do you implement that? How do you start that? Where do you even begin? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy. I think you you need to you need to have a very committed senior leadership team that understands why that's critical. If they're not committed, they're not going to do it. Um, at Northwestern Mutual, not to brag on this company, but it's the reason why I came. I remember in the interview process, I was asking a lot of tough questions. I wasn't about to uproot my entire family from where we were. It was a big move for us, unless this place was really not going to be just about pushing paper around, you know, or making things look good, winning shiny awards, you know, how many 100% scores can we get? How many ERGs can we have? You know, ERGs are wonderful. We should talk about them, but that's not all there is to DEI in an organization. You have to get the systems of oppression, for lack of a better word, out of the organization, talent acquisition, talent development, talent management. Those things have to be, and that's the hard work that you need to do in order for the organization to thrive. So, you know, that's, that's working through the systems. Working with the senior leadership team takes a lot of heart and time. And so you have to make sure there's a commitment and then you got to sign them up and you got to make it happen. And it can't just be something that goes on for like a year. It has to be something that's repeatable. You have to take multiple talent groups through it. You have to have a long-term multi-year strategy. Um, and that's what we do here uh, because I've got a really great CEO and senior leadership team. Doesn't always get it right. Nobody does, but they try. And we've seen nothing but positive results since we started um, some of the work that we've done recently over the past two years, these roundtables that I'm specifically talking about. Can you give us a little more detail about the roundtables? Just because I know if I was listening, I'd be like, oh, tell me, what, what, what does it look like? Like, what's it practically? Yeah, yeah uh, so simple concepts. And that's another thing that I love about just this work is that you, there is so much complexity to writing policy and to devising talent management systems and you know all the all the things but this is literally we get our senior leadership team in roundtables with groups of talents on a monthly basis 
Um, and right now we started with some of our most underrepresented community uh, talent populations, and we're moving through the organization. We also do roundtables with people leaders. There are different versions of this, but we make sure that there's an hour long session and some of our senior leadership team members are doing like four of these a month with different employee groups. So a lot of time where they sit and they answer questions. They talk about leadership. They talk about the real stuff that's going on in the organization that might be a barrier to someone's success or a perceived barrier to someone's success. And that's where the magic happens. I always say it's really hard to ignore talent when they're sitting right in front of you. Yeah, right across from it. Right. And if you think about the rooms that a lot of our talent is, is in, who's not in those conversations? Who's not getting that one-on-one time? And so we make it happen. Yeah. And I love how you emphasize the importance of just trying. I feel like so many organizations go into DEI work with this expectation that it has to be put together, tied up really nicely with a bow on top. Um, And there's no room for error, especially when we're talking about things that involve social identities, which is really close to everyone. Um, But I love how you emphasize the importance of just trying something and seeing if it works and seeing if it has an impact in your organization. And then just readjusting and going from there. But the importance is to at least try first. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know we talked a lot about leadership and the things that we can do as organization at the leadership level to create these macro inclusions. But a lot of our listeners are people who just want to be better people too. What are the things that they can do to practice micro inclusions on their own every single day in their life, whether it's at work or in their personal life? I'm going to give you another really simple answer to this, um, but it's hard to do. And that is to just talk with people, get to know people. If you are a people leader and you do not know your people, then you cannot be inclusive. It's impossible. And so, sure, I can tell you to go join an employee resource group. I can tell you to get involved with the Urban League. And I, I can tell you to do all these things in the community and Um, I can tell you to take an unconscious bias training class, but how long have we been doing unconscious bias training classes in corporate America and has been netting nothing? Yeah. The proof and the results are driven from the one-on-one interactions that we have with other humans that make them less whatever upfront. And that's where the change happens. And so if you don't, if you don't know, if you're surrounding yourself with the same type of people as you are, that come from the same background the same state, the same country, even the same community look the same as you. Aren't you missing something? (laughs) Aren't you missing the richness of everything else and everyone else that's out there? Mm. And so for me, the simple answer is getting to know people and the rest comes from there. I think that, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's like being a better human. and, and, And there is this like thing that we say, like, you know, it's, it is about being curious about someone else, right? And I think it's also about modeling that own behavior for yourself, like sharing. Hey, can I just tell you something that was super cringy that I did yesterday? Or you know, like the kinds of conversations that allow for people to come into and get to trust and get to understand and know you better. Because walking up to somebody you don't know, to Amy, to your point, and being like, could you tell me about like 
how you feel about this thing that was in the news, right? This really tragic thing that happened. How, how does it feel to be a black woman in corporate? I mean, I, do you know my name? Have we ever met before? Like, I would love to have that conversation with you. But first, maybe let's talk about the weather and what I did this weekend. And just like, let me build that rapport with you. And I, I do think sometimes we make this more complicated than it has to be, because if we think about the, like, you know, those posters, uh, I learned everything I needed to know in kindergarten, like, you know, those, <laughs> those, those posters, I've, I've seen many versions of them, but to some degree, it is kind of true. Like, what are the things that are the basic components mm-hmm. of what make relationships? And how yeah. do we start with those basic things and then build on them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just like, it's really hard to see, like, you know, to miss the talent that's sitting right in front of you. It's hard to miss the human that's sitting right in front of you. It's easy when it's a statistic. It's easy when it's an article. It's easy when it's, you know, like I saw it and whatever, but it's much harder when it's like, you're sitting right across from me and I can see and feel and hear how you're breathing and thinking. Um, I think that's so important. Right. And so the action is, and the hard thing is to go and sit with that person or with those people. And that's right. the beauty of like these roundtables is we're putting, bringing people together and that's mm-hmm. really all it is. And then if that is the action and the rest comes from that, but you got to Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we've had a lovely conversation. I really appreciate again, your time. Um, I think that our listeners are going to be able to take away from this a number of things. One is what we just ended with this idea of Sometimes it's the simple, I just make a space and I become a convener and I create the opportunities for people to connect human to human. I think another big takeaway is this idea of what does it feel like uh, to come into a space and be given the opportunity to have access to some of the things that maybe we are assuming people already have, right? And, and making sure that we're incorporating this conversation. I always talk about the fact that DEI is, is at its best is actually leadership training. It is what you do to become a great leader, right? And and we create these like dichotomies between the two, but I actually think that they're much more entwined than what we that we what we let on, or maybe sometimes the way that we're activating it inside of our organizations. So so many great things, um, Amy. I know one of the things people are going to be wondering is how do I stay connected? I want to know what else she's doing. Um, <laughs> what's the best way to do that? I would say LinkedIn, because that way you can get a hold of me. I'm not blocked. You can send me a message. I mean, that's how we find some of our best talent. So if you're looking for employment, this is a great place to be. Um, and you can see articles and any work that my team and I are doing. And I'd be happy to talk with anybody about, you know, your struggles in the organization or how you can be a better leader. Uh, I'm always looking for new friends. So thanks again so much for having me. It was a great time. Absolutely. Like Deanna said, we're so excited and so happy that you made the time to join us today on our podcast. And we're so glad that our listeners, that you all tuned in to this week's episode of the Uplifting Impact podcast. We need more people to help us uplift the impact. And in order to do so, be sure to share this episode, comment on it, and go by our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact. Justin Ponder, Tamira Ramsey, and Deanna Singh. Until next week, keep uplifting the impact. Thank you again, Amy. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.